Amen. Thank you, Sister Naomi, for that wonderful song. It's always to hear, uh, always a blessing to hear the wonderful message of that song. Truly, without the Lord, we are nothing, isn't it? We don't have uh, joy, we don't have peace, and we don't have the uh, assurance of heaven. And uh, we are so blessed today, amen? amen? Because God has given us another opportunity to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we know our gathering today is never in vain. Uh, we are gathered in the name of Christ, and we claim that promise when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, He is in our midst. And... Uh, I thank God for this opportunity to share God's word. We uh, had heard some wonderful uh, messages last Sunday regarding the uh, powerful resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God for that truth that our Savior is indeed alive. Amen? And He is risen indeed. And we know that because He's alive, we are also given that wonderful promise that we will have eternal life. And that's uh, the wonderful assurance for any believer in Christ Jesus that we are not really uh, in need to fear death. We know sometimes we, we think like, uh, maybe if, if cross your mind, uh, how will I die? <laughs> will it be uh, hurtful? You know, will I suffer? And some are uh, probably thinking, I hope I'll just die in my sleep. You know, like I ate too much during the night. <laughs> then sabing anila na impacho, and then you you wake up. Oh, you're already in heaven. You know, no no pain. But uh, uh, because of Christ's resurrection, we have that assurance. Amen. That if death comes our way, we will be in the presence of God Almighty. And thank God for um, using Pastor Asuncion. Uh, wow, dynamic preacher. Amen. To preach God's word during our uh, early sunrise service and also in our Christmas, oh, Easter Cantara, <laughs> and uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday celebration last Sunday. So we were just preparing for the East, Easter Cantata, and it's already done. And we had um, a song here that we're able to sing today uh, in one of those songs uh, invited. So thank God for everything that transpired. So this morning we will continue our uh, study in the book of Romans. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles in one of the greatest uh, book in the Bible. Uh, the Christian Manifesto, and we will uh, start to uh, read verses uh, eight, uh, 18 all the way to the last verse of 31. So please uh, stand with me as we give honor and reverence to the Word of God. So we'll try to finish uh, chapter 3 today. So the title of our message is From Wrath to Righteousness, From Wrath to Righteousness, and also we will study this wonderful um, uh, doctrine in the Bible about justification, about being justified by faith. So Romans chapter 3, verses, uh, we'll start reading 19 all the way to verses 31. So if you're there, say, Amen. Amen. Alright? And let's read it all together, then we'll have a word of prayer. Let's begin. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a preparation for faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by law of faith. Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Saying it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith in uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yeah, we establish the law. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the truth and the wonderful instructions uh, upon thy law, upon thy word that we just read today. Thank you, Lord, for uh, first and foremost our salvation, Lord. We can never thank you enough for saving a poor, wretched sinner like us. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful love of Jesus Christ, for his mercy and grace, that he allowed us to live another day and be allowed us, Lord, to be in the Lord's house in the Lord's day to uh, collectively, Lord, as a congregation, praise you and worship you and glorify your name for who thou art and what thou hast done. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that we're able to sing for thy praises this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we are so blessed by the choir and the special music. Truly, this had prepared our hearts for the Word of God this morning. And once again, Lord, we ask for your cleansing, for your forgiveness for any sins that we've committed against you. Unknowingly, unknowingly, Lord, we pray for the blood of Christ to cover us, wash us, make us holy, make us pure. May everything that we do will be acceptable unto thy sight. Give us, Lord, ears to hear. An understanding heart to know thy truth before us. And thank you, Lord, for your uh, mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for also all the churches that are proclaiming and preaching the gospel here across America. Lord, may your Holy Spirit work in a mighty way. May you teach us the things that we need to be reminded of. Save the lost and uh, help us to continue to grow in our faith so we can be a better servant of thee. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you so much. All right. From wrath to righteousness. As we look back in our study in the book of Romans, if we will turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. I hope and pray that as we read the scriptures in itself, it will already be a blessing to us because we have the Holy Spirit of God that teaches us and enlighten us the truth of God's word. It says there in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God. As we know from the scripture, in order for a holy, righteous God to express His nature, like holiness, truth, 
and justice, God has to punish sin. Amen? Since sin personally offend God, no one should be surprised that sin makes God angry. To deny God's anger is to reject the necessity of Christ's reconciling work on the cross. God's wrath is revealed both in nature and in Scripture. Isn't it? It's revealed the wrath of God both in nature and in Scriptures. And I don't have this on the slide, but we will look at some verses pertaining the wrath of God or His, you know, anger against sin since, holy, since He is holy and righteous and just. Look at John chapter 3, verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. We know John 3, 16. Amen? All right? But also, we know that God is not just a God of love, but also is a God of truth. God of wrath. The Bible says that He is a consuming fire. He is ultimately holy and righteous altogether. That is number one characteristic actually attributes that set Him apart from any other creatures or creation that He made, that He is ultimately holy and righteous. John chapter 3, verse 36 declare, He that believeth on the Son had everlasting life. This is Jesus Christ. Amen? He that believeth on the Son of God had everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but look, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abided in him. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 2, Nahum chapter 1 verse 2, in the Old Testament, I just uh, select some uh, Bible verses regarding the wrath of God. It says there, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. You know, these enemies pertain to people who don't believe in God, reject His love and mercy. Look at uh, also in our book study in the book of Romans. Romans, we'll start with Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. The Bible says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And look at um, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. God's judgment, indignation against sin. We'll be saved from wrath through him. How about Romans chapter 12, verse 19? Romans 12:19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, this is uh, from the Old, Old Testament reference, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Amen? There will come a time that God will make all things right. Amen? Because He is the ultimate judge and justifier of all things. We can count on that. And in, in this world, we see a lot of injustices, unfairness, a lot of uh, discrimination. But there's coming a day that God will make all things right. Because He is a sovereign God. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 
First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. All right? First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. The Bible declares and to wait for his son from heaven. Amen. That's what we're trying to do right now. Amen. We know that we are living in the last days, latter end of the last days, because a lot of signs of the coming great tribulation is almost upon us. And I think I'll be teaching, preaching about this next week. Um, all these uh, global things that are happening that had never happened in any generation is being uh, fulfilled you know, in our eyes before right now and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come you know he delivered us from the wrath to come as a believer if you're saved you are delivered from the wrath of god in judgments toward hell of eternal fire and also for the great tribulation the wrath to come into this unrepentant world so that wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, as we read in Romans 1.18, from nature and in the scripture. But now, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, we read, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The wrath of God has been revealed, but right now the righteousness of God is also revealed in our study. So this is a new section in this epistle. It has been bad news. <laughs> As we've been studying the book of Romans, now it's time for good news. Are you happy for good news? Amen. You know you are a bearer of good news as a Christian, as a child of God, because you have the gospel within you. Amen? What is the gospel again? As the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, moreover, brethren, the scripture is written that the gospel is about the good news of the death Burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. That is a message that is the good news that we can always share to others. No matter what the circumstances in our life is. No matter what is the political scenario of a nation. Whatever is happening in, in your family or in your community or in your personal life. The good news is always readily available to be shared. Because of Jesus. Alright? So up to this point, it's all been bad news. Mankind, as we've studied, has entered the courtroom and God is the judge. And we are accused of high treason against heaven. Uh, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we can see here the universal sinfulness of man. The universal need for forgiveness and righteousness. So in chapter 1, as a way of study, review, the heathen hopes to be acquitted on the basis of ignorance. But the witness of conscience and creation take the stand and undercut his case and pronounce the heathen guilty. Those who don't know the law of God. Then in chapter 2, the moral person also is trying to be acquitted, but he is also guilty as well. Even though he's a good person by comparison to a heathen. He hasn't seen outwardly like the heathen, but he has sinned inwardly. Amen? Lust is still adultery. Covetousness is still stealing. Hatred is still murder. Amen? So we sin inwardly and outwardly. Amen? We sin with the sin of commission, not doing what we're supposed to do, and sin of omission, not doing what we're supposed to do. Alright? So all 
are guilty. So, the heathen is guilty, the hypocrite is guilty. Then chapter 3, we see there as we study, also the Hebrew is guilty. The religious person is guilty. A Jew who tries to keep the law is also guilty of being a sinner. Does good works and keeping the law that he tries to do things that he will be acquitted of this punishment, this judgment, but the Jew is also guilty. The most obedient, orthodox kind of Jew, like the Pharisee, isn't it? Even Christ said, if you will exceed the righteousness of the Pharisee, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. They are so devoted, disciplined, and dedicated to obeying the law, but they cannot really keep the law. Amen? In perfection. So they are also guilty. All right? So we can say that all of us are sinners by nature, sinners by choice, and therefore subject to the wrath of God against sin. That's why we read in Revelation 20.14, Revelation 20.14, the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. One of uh, the scariest verse in the Bible, isn't it? If you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and personal Savior, you will experience not just the first death, physical death, spiritual death being separated from God, but also the worst kind of death, the second death, where it is forevermore. So this is the final sentence. Nothing could be more tragic. But look, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, we see the word, but now. Amen? But now. This is like a, a Grand Canyon division of these verses of Scripture. From darkness to light. From wrath to righteousness. What a difference this Bible verse makes. Because of the first two words, but now. So we can say in spite of our sin and guilt, deserving wrath, righteousness comes on the scene. And look, it's not our righteousness. It's God's righteousness. Amen? He is the source. And this righteousness is eternal. That comes from His Son, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It means we can become right in the sight of God. There's no better news that doesn't exist in this universe than that news. We're guilty, we're sinners, but we can be made righteous in the, wrath, in, in the sight of God. So wrath is revealed, righteousness is revealed, but we must go by God's terms. There's not many roads to heaven. There is only one road. Amen? And it is revealed here in this passage of Scripture that we're about to study. It is by justification, by faith, whereby God declares the believing sinner to be righteous. It's a legal term. Justification is used here from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 5, 30 times by Apostle Paul. Justification is the act of God whereby our legal standing in heaven is changed and we are declared righteous. So we can see the verb justify and the adjective righteous are linked in scripture since both share a common Greek root. When we express saving faith in God, He adds righteousness and perfection to our record. When we express, you know, uh, Saving faith in God, He adds righteousness and perfection to our record in behalf of Jesus Christ. So, 
is a legal forensic term declared righteous. Or as they said, just if I've never sinned. Yes, we truly sinned, amen? But in the eyes of God legally, because of what Christ had done on the cross, and because of his uh, obedience to the law, fulfilling all sac uh, uh, sacrifice and, and all, all the laws of God while he was living on earth, that righteousness is given to us. So, a uh, few things about justification. Uh, we'll go to them quickly. First, justification is an act, not a process. All right? It's an act, not a process. It's a one-time event which occurs at salvation, not an ongoing thing. Amen? It happens in an instant. So our friends, the Roman Catholics, believe justification is a process that begins at infant baptism, continues through confirmation, you know, catechism, confession, you know, sacraments, and all kinds of good works. And they claim if you commit a mortal sin, your justification is interrupted. And you better make things right or you'll face purgatory. Alright? But biblically, that's not so. Justification is a one-time event. When God places your sin on Christ, on His cross, He paid for those sins once and for all. Then He placed, not only that, God's righteousness upon you. And you move from God's wrath to righteousness. It's a legal declaration that is made. So it means you cannot lose your salvation. Why? Because you did not earn it in the first place. You were declared righteous by God who is undeserving. So if you sin and you feel undeserving, it's okay. We are also feeling that way. We are undeserving. But we can just say, thank you, Lord, for justifying me through the sacrifice of your son. So second thing, justification has no degrees. First, it's an act, it has no degrees. You are justified or you are not. No levels, amen? I am no more justified than you are. You are more than justified in the eyes of God than I am. Thirdly, justification is done by God, not man. Faith is all we bring to the table. This leaves no room for boasting, amen? This leaves no room for boasting. So we will look here at some references in the book of Galatians. It's tied on what Apostle Paul is teaching here. All right, I hope this will bless our hearts today as we read at these verses of Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, uh, for the first one. All right, Galatians 2, 16. The Bible says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believe in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Amen? Clear. As the scriptures declare unto us, we are not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ. How about Galatians 3.10? Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Then verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident that just shall live by faith. Amen? 
clear there. How about chapter 5, verse 1? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bandage. Verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but by but faith which worketh by love. So we are justified by faith which worketh by love. How about Philippians chapter 3 verse 9? Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. By faith. We are justified by faith and the source is God, not us. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Alright. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. The Bible says, who had saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Look at that. Who had saved us and called us, not according to our works. We are never justified by our works, but by the works of Jesus. Then Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Right? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Because you know what? Our works will never measure up to God's standard. We will always fall short. So I'm glad that Christ did all the work for me. Amen. All I have to do is to believe and to receive it, you know? So in chapter 4, we can see in Romans chapter 4, Paul will give a great illustration of justification using Abraham. In chapter 5, we will see the benefits of justification. For now, just in our study, Bible study, just two verses, 21 and 22, and then we'll try to end this from chapter 23 all the way down. The righteousness of God here have uh, five states statements about what it is as paul says all right first in verse 21 it is of god our righteousness is it is of god it is not of us our righteousness as the bible declares is filthy rags in the sight of god and you know god is not in the laundry business amen i don't care what kind of laundry soap you're using mr clean probably you know or tide or whatever you know it cannot wash away you know everything so it means if our righteousness is filthy rugs it means that our god doesn't just clean up our righteousness but what he did is he takes the robe of christ's righteousness and put it on us amen that's why we are accepted by god when we die and we go to heaven and if God will ask you, why will I let you enter my kingdom? You know, we can always say, because I have the righteousness of your only begotten son in me. 
given in me. So, we are accepted. God is pleased because we have Jesus in our lives. He takes the robe off His back and put it on us. What a blessing. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 to 31 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, the Bible says that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, look, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In the Lord. Will we sing how great I am when we get to heaven? No way. Amen? Because God will always get the glory. You know? We will sing the song, How Great Thou Art. Amen? How great thou art that you allowed me a vile sinner, you know, undeserving, worthy to die for my sins, be accepted into your heaven. All because of what Christ has done. You see, those who try to be good enough for heaven are attempting to steal God's glory. God will never share His glory to anybody. He can share all that He has, but He'll never share His glory. You know why? Because He's the only one that deserves to be glorified. Because He's the only one who is the creator of the universe. He's the only one who is the one true God. And not, not, he is the most superior eternal being. Nobody excels above him. So all glory ought to be given to him. He could never share it. That's why it's a, it's a blatant you know, uh, act of man to steal God's glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. What a blessing this is. You know, I always remember Pastor Max quote this verse of scripture. When it comes to our blessedness, of our salvation when the Bible declares for he had made him who is this talking about Christ Jesus amen for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him that we might be made the righteousness of God in him so first statement about this righteousness is not of us it is of God number two it has nothing to do with keeping the law Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. It says there, that phrase, without the law. Good works have nothing to do with it. The law demands perfection, and of course, we're not perfect. Many churches teach us grace plus works. It's a danger nowadays. That's why we know what, we need to be reminded of what we believe in. What is the core doctrine of a Bible-believing Christian? Amen. What does the Bible says in Romans 11:6? Another passage of scripture in the book of Romans, Romans 11:6, the Bible declares, "And if by grace, then it is no more of works; otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace; otherwise, work is no more work." Clear, isn't it? So we can say that grace and works are mutually exclusive when it comes to a person's salvation. But take note of this. What a privilege now as a saved believer to do good works because we want to, not because we have to. There's a difference, isn't it? 
Now we are created unto good works after we got saved. Because we want to do good works to please God our Father, to make our light shine, but we don't do good works in order for us to be saved. It's not the root of our salvation. Now good works is a fruit of our salvation. As the Bible declares clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then in verse 10, For we are created unto good works. We are His workmanship, created unto good works. Now, we are given the privilege to do good works because we want to as a result of that new creation inside of us. Amen? But we don't do it because we have to in order for us to be forgiven and be able to go to heaven. Now we want to because we have a new spirit in us. Amen? We have a new nature in us. So, if you're a Christian here, do good works for the brethren for the household of faith, for your community, for your family. Pray for them, you know. Extend some help for them because now it's a privilege to serve God by doing good works in behalf of the people around you. So, number three, this righteousness is not only coming from God. It's not by keeping the law. It's also manifested in verse 21. We see that word there, manifested. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Means revealed or demonstrated in the person of Christ on the cross of death. God demands righteousness and God provided it to us. Amen? Amen? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's a question here, sometimes probably we read or hear, that how could a good God send people to hell? If God is the God of love, how can He allow a person to go to hell and suffer there for all eternity? That's why probably for the JW, the, the doctrine of the annihilation of the soul, you're not really going to suffer in hell forever. Maybe you'll suffer for a little and then you'll cease to exist. You know, But we know that we are created in the image of God and we have an eternal soul. That's why, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but loses his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Our soul is very, very important in the eyes of God because we are created in God's image. And it's something that will last forever. It will exist somewhere either in heaven or in hell. So how could a good God send people to hell? But if you will turn it around that question, actually we could ask, how could a perfect, holy, righteous God allow sin into his presence? He could never, isn't it? That's why sin has to be dealt with. And actually, God doesn't send people to hell. It's our sin that sends us to hell. It's our rejection of the offer of Christ, you know, love on the cross. It's our unbelief that sends a person to hell. Because the Bible always declares, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So nobody uh, living in this dispensation Will, 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 you know, uh, point their hands to God and blame Him. I'm here in hell, Lord, because, you know, He did not love me. You did not make a way for me to be saved. Yes, God did. He has the witness of creation and conscience. He has people praying for you. He has probably allowed you to hear the gospel. But it's us who has to be blamed as human beings, isn't it? If we reject the truth of God. 
So it was manifested, it is revealed to us, and we are so blessed in this generation, especially here in America. There are so many Bible preaching uh, churches, many opportunities to hear the gospel over and over again. It's man's decision, amen, to either reject it or receive it. Fourth thing, it is also witness. This righteousness is witness. By who? In the end of verse 21, by the law and the prophets. So we see that every Old Testament sacrifice spoke of the perfect ultimate Lamb of God to come. Every prophet spoke of the Messiah to come. In our Sunday school this morning, John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was born of a woman blessed by no other man because he is the culmination of all the Old Testament prophets, what they're preaching about, teaching about, prophesying about the coming Messiah. He's the forerunner of Christ. And, you know, even him, he had his moments of doubt, you know, if the Messiah had truly come. But he's the one being spoken by every prophet in the Old Testament to come. And he is vindicated by the signs that he will perform, that he is truly the truly one that would come. And they should not wait for another one. But sad to say, nationally speaking, Israel has been blinded. But thanks be to God, because they turned their back from the Messiah, God turned to us as Gentiles and given us the opportunity for the past 2,000 years to turn to Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we have the church age, the grace age, whereby a Jew or a Gentile, wherever you are, can believe in Christ and be saved and be part of that body, that bride of Christ. What a blessing it is to live in this day and age. Amen? And we have the Bible to show us that. The complete revelation of God. So it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Fifthly, it is obtained by faith in Christ. Look at verse 22. This righteousness is obtained by faith in Christ. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Jesus Christ is the way we can obtain this righteousness. There is no other name, no other way. It's not one way or a better way, but He's the only way. And that's plainly teached in the scripture. John 14, 6. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except through me or by me. Why Jesus? Because you know what? Paul couldn't die for my sins. He could probably only die for his sins, but actually God will not accept his sacrifice for his sin because he's also a sinner. No matter how great a missionary is, a Christian or a Pharisee, he's also imperfect. All right? Of course, Moses cannot die for my sin, your sin, Abraham, Peter, or even myself. But Jesus, praise be to God, had no sin. He's the perfect son of God. He obeyed all righteousness. He fulfilled all the law. He is an infinite God-man. Amen? And even the price of sin seems so infinite. Imagine that. Billions of people in the world who sin every day. But since Christ is God, He is infinite. He can pay the infinite price of sin because He is the infinite Son of God who tasted and died for all men. That's why it says there in that phrase, you know, Christ uh, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So it says unto all and upon all. What does this mean? This is, it means it's offered and available unto all, but it's only upon all them that believe. Like, 
like this is a gift that is held to all, but only those who believe it and receive it, they can reach out and take it. Amen? It's like um, if somebody is outside, you know, giving us uh, $100 bills. Amen? Uh, let's pretend we are election time. We are in the Philippines. <laughs> Try to bribe your vote. Vote for me. No, you, no, you will not uh, receive it if you will not go out there and get it, isn't it? It's just going to be there. All right? So what we learned so far as we wrap up this message, you know, we learned that the term justified and righteousness are connected to each other. Justification is a legal term for God declaring us righteous before him. It's a one-time event that happens at the moment of salvation. Then we see also sanctified is an ongoing process of growing in the Lord. After justification, always follow sanctification. Amen? And uh, after sanctification, the one that we're looking forward in the near future, our glorification. Amen? And Brother Bob preached about this last Wednesday. You know, we experienced groaning uh, infirmities, you know, in this life, in this earth. Because we live in a broken world, a fallen world. But thanks God, thanks be to God for the promise of our ultimate glorification in Christ Jesus. So, uh, it's an ongoing process of growing in the Lord's sanctification. Righteousness breaks down above the lines. Righteousness breaks down along the above lines. There is what we call imputed righteousness, imparted. There is positional righteousness. There is practical righteousness. So why do we need righteousness? Because in verse 23, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have come short, fall short of the glory of God. So as we end, we see here our justification in verse 24. We are justified first freely. Amen? The word freely here is the Greek word Dorian. All right? The Greek word Dorian. It means without cause. You know, without cause. John 15, 25, the Bible says, But this cometh to pass that the world might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Without a cause is the Greek word in this verse, Dorian. So for Jesus to know him is to love him. To know him better is to love him more. He's the only person you can say that about. Amen? Familiarity, as we know, breeds contempt, usually. But sometimes many get to know Jesus and hate him, but without a cause. Apply the same concept in verse 24 of Romans chapter 3. We are justified freely or without a cause. Without a cause. How can God justify us, declare righteous? Do we have something to offer to God? Nothing really, isn't it? Because we're sinners. We fall short. It's like, uh, what happened? Uh, illustration here. A surgeon needs to do a transplant. He needs a healthy heart. I say, I know of one, and somebody led him to a graveyard where a man has been buried for years. So the man dig him up and open the lid. Can the surgeon really use that heart? No. It's corrupted. It's defiled. No? So it's like God opened up the lid on my life and looked inside, and I was dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't it? But he loved me anyway and did not walk away, but did a spiritual transplant on me without a cause. Isn't it? Freely. 
Imagine you painted a beautiful piece and got an expensive frame. You put that frame in the main room of the house and you think it would appreciate you how you treated it. But each time you walk by it, that frame, that painting, it slaps you in the face. So to illustrate that, isn't it when God created us perfectly, we responded with rebellion and sin all the way from the Garden of Eden until right now? What a slap in the face of our Creator, isn't it? But still, He loved us. Still, He justified us freely, without a cause. Amen? Why? Because He's a God of love. He's merciful. He's gracious. Ask me why I love my wife, and I'll have a laundry list of reasons. She's lovable. But you know what? You and I, Jesus loved us, as the Bible says in Romans 5.8, while we were yet a sinner. And we are all sinners by nature and by choice. So we are justified freely, without a cause. Also, verse 24, we are justified by His grace. We see there, being justified freely by His grace. Grace is the key word here used in the epistle uh, of Paul in his writings. It's used a hundred times. No? We receive God's grace not by means of baptism, works, hope, Offering, service, etc., but by grace. You know what? God's love wasn't enough to save us. It took His grace. Amen? You know, because we cannot get to heaven without perfect righteousness, grace, as we know, is receiving something you don't deserve. And we don't deserve to be considered righteous. We don't deserve to be considered or declared righteous, for we are not, definitely. So, God's grace came into the sin, giving us what we don't deserve. So, some accuse uh, us of uh, preaching salvation by grace as promoting cheap grace. If being saved seems too easy to you, consider that Christ truly did the hardest part. Yes, salvation is free, but it was not cheap. There's no such thing as cheap grace in the Bible when it comes to our salvation. Amen? That's why we're always thankful. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Wonderful grace. Available grace. Saving grace. You know, G. Campbell Morgan was preaching in a small coal mining town. He preached salvation by grace alone. A miner approached him afterward and said, Your salvation is too cheap, preacher. Morgan asked the man, How do you get down into the mine? The elevator. How much do they charge you to ride it? Nothing. It cost the company a high price. All he had to do was to get on board and put his faith in that elevator to take him to his destination. Same thing in our salvation, amen? It's not cheap. It costs God the Father everything he has. It costs him his only begotten son. So we are justified freely. We are justified by His grace. Then also in verse 24, we are justified through the redemption. Redemption. That is in Christ Jesus, it says there. Redemption has roots in slavery where slaves would be auctioned off on the block. What a great picture of our situation and how Christ purchased us with His blood. That's why our salvation is always connected with the blood atonement, the shed blood of Jesus. Now we always preach about the blood because without the shedding of the blood, the Bible declares there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Jesus' life's blood was given for our behalf when He died on the cross and when He resurrected from the grave. No, what a great picture of our salvation when it comes to redemption. We are purchased, we are bought back with His own precious blood when He redeemed us, set us free. And now we are set free. Are we free to sin now? God forbid. No, isn't it? But we are now free to serve. Free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as we know, there are stories of some in times of southern slavery upon this country who would buy slaves and set them free. Great stories. They were often resented for doing so. Just as Christ is seen by others who haven't experienced it for themselves, I like the stories where the slave set free chooses then to go with their new redeemer, with their new master. And isn't it? We are privileged to serve Jesus because he had freed us from the bondage of sin. He purchased us back with his precious blood. So we are not forced to serve him. We have to do it willingly, voluntarily, out of love. Amen? Because of that great freedom that we have in him. That's why we have that song, Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin, and free someday by the very presence of sin. Thanks be to God. Justified, fourthly, also through the propitiation. Look at verse 25. Whom God had set forth to be a, pro a propitiation, it's a big word, propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sin that are past to the forbearance of God. So propitiation is the act of God motivated by His immense love whereby He accepts the blood of Christ as the complete and satisfying sacrifice for all human sin, thus establishing a means of reconciliation between God and man. So propitiation simply means satisfaction. Jesus is the satisfaction of God against the penalty and the judgment of sin. He is our appeasement against God's wrath. You know, we are not saved because God overlooked our sin, turned a blind eye, or swept it under a rug. No. Isn't it? Because God has to punish sin. So Jesus is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction when He died on the cross of Calvary. Justice has to be done. Payment has to be made. No exceptions. And Christ paid our sin debt by His blood on the cross. You see, to illustrate this, if I got myself into debt and couldn't pay, I would be held accountable, isn't it? It wouldn't matter if my creditor was my friend, family, or anyone. They could not write it off. Someone still has to pay. Unlike one of the Seinfeld episodes, all right? They were able to write it off. But in the real world, someone has to pay. So the propitiation of our sin is the appeasement of God's wrath. There is only one way a man could appease the wrath of God on his own by going to hell for all eternity. But look at this. The good news is someone who was innocent came and died for your place and my place. And his name is Jesus. That's why we read in verse 26, to declare, Romans 3, 26, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believe, believeth in Jesus. Aren't you glad at Calvary, God became both the just 
and the justifier. You know, his morality was satisfied and so was his mercy because Christ became the propitiation of our sin. Now to illustrate this, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holiest, there's what we call the mercy seat in the Old Testament tabernacle. Inside of that mercy seat is the Ark of the Covenant for which the mercy seat was the lid and there's the Ten Commandments and two other items. Can you know? Can you name me the two other items in the Ark of the Covenant? The two tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments and Aaron's bud, rod that budded and a pot of manna. That's preserved, all right? It represents uh, those uh, wonderful symbolical things in the Old Testament, all right? The commandments and those uh, two other items. The blood, as we know, was sprinkled on the mercy seat once every year in the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur by the high priest. And it covered the sin of national Israel temporarily where the law has them condemned. That's why we read in Hebrews 9, verse 2 uh, to 5, Hebrews 9, 2 to 5, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the tables and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, these are the furnitures inside of it, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot. That had manna, you're right, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, three items. And over it, the cherubims of glory, showing the mercy seat, which we cannot now speak particularly. Mercy seat here is the Greek hilasterion. So back in Romans 3.25, when we read, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is our hilasterion. Jesus is our mercy seat. He is the appeasement. He is the satisfaction that our sins had been fully paid. Jesus is the public display, not behind the veil any longer, that we may approach boldly the throne of God. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. You see, folks, the dilemma with our salvation is now how to get sinful men to a holy God. But the opposite, how to bring God to men without violating his moral justice. So if you ask that to any founder of any religion, how can God go to a man without violating his moral justice? They can't. No rules, regulation, no ritual can do that. But aren't you glad God did it for us through Jesus Christ? He brought Christ to us and he never violated his moral justice. Actually, he fulfilled it. Now Paul ends the chapter with a series of three questions and conclusion about what we've learned about justification. And we will truly end. Amen? <laughs> In our Bible study. All right, verse 27. So we will answer these three questions quickly. Where is boasting? Verse 27. Now we know that we are justified, all right, freely by his redemption, you know, through um, being our propitiation. Now, the question is, where is boasting? No boasting. Excluded. We have nothing to do with our salvation. We have no bragging rights as a result. No self-congratulations. Amen? If it were justification by works, church attendance, etc., then you could boast. And we, should, we could never boast. All right? That's why it says also in 
uh, half of chapter uh, 3, verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. It's only by faith. It's like if you're drown drowning and a lifeguard saved you, no one would congratulate you how well you clung to the lifesaver. All right? All credit will go to the lifeguard. Lifesaver, not you, because you're just there to be saved, to be rescued. Same thing with Jesus. Amen? All glory. All credit to Him. All I need is to put my faith in my lifeguard. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. We know that the Jews have the tendency to boast. All right? Romans 2, 17. Why? Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast in God, and knowest his will, and approvest the thing that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. They are prideful because they were given the law, the oracles of God, firsthand. Now they're trying to keep it, but the thing is they became too self-absorbed, self-righteous, that they deny, you know, their need of a Savior. So, Chapter 2, verse 23, it takes, at, uh, takes us further. It says there, that thou, may, that thou makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. See? Alright? So, we cannot boast, but this is good news because this means that salvation is not by me holding out, but by God holding on. Amen? I'm not holding out to keep me saved in order for me to be saved, to maintain my salvation. But thanks be to God, it's God holding on to me to keep me saved. No one can pluck us out from the hand of God because of what Christ had done. If we boasted in heaven, it would turn it into hell. That's how it all started for Lucifer before he fell, isn't it? Pride, boastfulness was found in his, in his heart. All right. Second question, all right? Is it by Jews only in verse 29? No. Pastor, amen. Ah, Pastor Abel said an amen with this. Because we can all relate. Gentiles too. Amen? amen? All of us. And he says there in verse 30, He's one God and provides one salvation for the one group He created, His fallen children of all colors. That's why we support missionaries all over the world. Because salvation is available for all men. All men can be saved. Number three question. Is the law voided? Verse 31. God forbid. Apostle Paul also answered, isn't it? God forbid. The gospel establishes the law. It confirms it. It completes it. It satisfies it. Keeping the law is perfection. And praise be to God, Christ is our perfection. Our righteousness. The law demanded payment for our sins. Death in the garden of Eden, coats of skin had to be provided to clothe Adam and Eve, to clothe, you know, Cain and Abel. They were instructed also to bring blood sacrifice. At Passover, the blood had to be applied. Jesus satisfied the law through his death, through his shed blood, and then conquered death for all of us when he died on the cross and resurrected after three days. Amen to that. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 to 4. We'll read this verse and we'll end. Romans 8, 2 to 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be 
fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now we got saved. God is now giving us the power to obey Him, to do good works, because we have something great that happened to us in the first place. Amen? We've been saved. Where we are justified, we are given the righteousness of Christ Jesus in behalf of what he has done for us on the cross and his life here on earth. May the Lord bless his word in our hearts today. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this book. Lord, more than ever, we truly appreciate our salvation. Lord, thank you for helping, helping us, Lord, to have a better understanding that we are declared righteous legally before a just holy God, our standing has been determined once and for all. The moment of our salvation when we, by faith, Lord, receive the forgiveness of sin. When we exercise, Lord, our freedom to choose when we heard the gospel to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as our Lord and personal Savior. Lord, we might not be able to fully fathom or understand the whole thing about our salvation, but there's one thing that we know. Salvation is of the Lord. We are saved by grace through faith. And thank you, Lord, that you did not ask us to do this and do that in order for us to be saved. But all you have to do is to put our faith in Christ Jesus. What he did for us on the cross is finished work of redemption. So we are forever grateful, Lord, and thankful that you justified us, not by the deeds of the law, not by works, but by faith in Christ Jesus. And you have invited us to have a relationship with you to know you more, to serve you more, because that's the only thing that we can do, Lord, after everything that you've done for us. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you as believers in Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we take our salvation for granted. We take for granted our legal standing before you, and sometimes we are not that bold enough or courageous enough to share our faith to others. And forgive us for the times that we even doubt you or feel so overwhelmed with the demands of life, the cares of this world. But thank you, Lord, for the promise of eternal life, of glorification one of these days. But right now, our sanctification is what you are looking for us. That ongoing process to be more like Jesus. If you're here this afternoon, as a way of in invitation. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, please settle this once and for all. All you need to do is to admit that you're a sinner. You need to be saved, that you're lost. Believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Believe that He can forgive you of your sins. Believe that if you repent, if you change your mind towards sin, you believe in God, He will forgive you. And call upon His name by faith. Ask Him to save you. If, there, 
any person in this room or in this virtual service who've never done this before, I'd like to invite you to trust Christ as your Savior. Call upon His name like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent of all of it. And I ask you by faith to save me. To come into my heart and life to be my Lord and personal Savior. Thank you for shedding your blood on the cross. Thank you that you're the only one that can save me. I put my full faith and trust upon you. In your name I pray. Amen. For Christians here, are thankful to God but we are justified, declared righteous, not because of our own merit, but because of what Christ has done. So this should propel us, motivate us to love Him more and to serve Him more. And now we do good works. We serve the Lord in this ministry. We serve one another. And it is a privilege not because we have to, but we want to. And we are commanded to do that because it's the right thing to do. So whatever your service before God, your ministry, please don't be weary of doing it. Let's do it unto the Lord. Let's do it for His glory, for His name's sake. While we still have the time to do it. While we still have the opportunity to do it. Because the Bible says, He's coming soon. And our work and labor on this world will be done. So what are the things that we're investing for eternity? It's supposed to be our service to God. Our ministries of reaching others. We may never know it. The leadership. But if you do something for God, for His glory, out of a pure heart, out of a heart of love before unto the Lord. The Lord knows. The Lord keeps tabs. He will bless you for that. He will reward you for that openly one of these days. Just do it for the Lord. Father God in heaven, as your people pray, you know what's in their heart. But all of us, Lord, can declare, can proclaim, Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the so great salvation that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are justified by faith and the just can live by faith. We can walk by faith, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word that encourages us to strengthen our faith in the midst of a, a changing world, in the midst of a world that has chaos and cursed and, Lord, uh, condemnation. Thank you, Lord, that we are not appointed for the wrath to come, but we are saved from that wrath to come because of what Christ had done on the cross of Calvary. We are thankful, Lord. We are grateful. Help us, Lord, to continue to serve you and know you more and bless the prayers of thy people this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.